Trinity Central. We exist to make God central to our lives and our world. You are listening to a recording of one of our Sunday messages. For more information, please go to trinitycentral.org. Praise God. It's good to be here with you today. Uh, We bring you greetings from California. Today, if you want to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, we're going to be looking at the angel's visitation, coming to Mary, and then Mary's song. So as we, as we start today, let me, let me just introduce my, my thought by simply saying this. I believe that God wants to give us both an invitation and also an expectation that we would experience a fresh visitation of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our church. Yeah. That's really the point. And we can, learn from, we can learn from the Virgin Mary. We can learn from her story. But we, we must not read it simply as historic fact. I believe God recorded this in the Word of God so that we would be inspired, that we would learn from her example. That's the point of today's message, that we would step into this, this story, this message, with a fresh sense of visitation for this next uh, year. So we see in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, It says, in the sixth month, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town of Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel said to her, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God uh, will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. How can this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Can you say that with me? For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. Be it to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. I I love this passage. And I I fear that perhaps we as a church, if you've been around the the, the church for years, you've heard this story, this Christmas story read so many times, so many Christmas seasons, that we lose the power of it. And it's becoming familiar with us. Let me just step back and make this comment that God's perspective is always the accurate perspective. When we look at the things around us, even the prophetic word that came today admonished us not to look with worldly eyes, not to see the circumstances of our life as being restricting, but to open our eyes and our hearts to what God says. And that's what Mary did in this passage. And the angel came to her and said in verse 28, you are highly favored. See, here's the point that we need to make. Why was she favored? Think about it. You know, set aside all the historic stuff and all the church cultural stuff and all the... She was not favored based on her longstanding legacy or her behavior. She was not seasoned and wise. We know that she was somewhere between the ages of 14 and 16. She was young. 
She was not favored by God based on her social or economic status. In verse 48, she describes herself as being of humble means. Let me rephrase it. She was poor. She grew up in a poor family. She was not favored by God based on her religious prowess or her religious acumen. She was a woman, a young woman, in a male-dominated religious environment. So we look at all those things we, it, it, that we would tend to think would be cause for favor. You see, when God decides and determines who he's going to favor, he doesn't measure our, our lives on the basis of our gifts, our abilities, or our accomplishments. He puts his measuring tape around our hearts. And that's what he did in Mary, and did for Mary, because Mary, the favor of God, extended to her because God knew her heart, and that she would be devoted to service, and that she was willing and available for the purposes of God. Second Chronicles 16, verse 9 comes to mind. The scripture says, For the Lord looks to and fro throughout the whole earth that he might strongly support the man, or can I say the woman, whose heart is completely devoted to him. That's what we see. That's where God puts his measuring tape. So Mary found favor in the eyes of God because her heart was open and willing to be available for the purposes of God. Let me give you about five lessons today. The first lesson is this. God's favor rests on those who love him with first love devotion. The favor of God rests on those who love God with the first love devotion and are radically committed to obedience regardless of the cost. First love, devotion, radical obedience, regardless of the cost. And then the angel went on in verse 28 and said to Mary, the Lord is with you. And I, I love this. The Lord is with you. Mary, be comforted. The Lord goes with you, and he goes with us through this life experience, this adventure that you're about to be invited into. God's with you. He goes with you. You don't have to worry. He's available to you. Let me rephrase it perhaps for you, for you and for me. We don't live life independently of God. If we're going to step into the place of God's favor, we step into that place knowing that our God goes with us. He wants to take us by the hand and lead us like you do to a small child. Let me show you the way. Come this way. It's safer this way. We'll avoid this mud puddle. Come on, we'll go. And that's what God does to the man or woman who says, my life is yours, God. And that's what God is simply saying to Mary here. Don't be afraid. The Lord is with you. And this is a very important message for all of us in this season of time who wonder just where are you, God? Have you had those moments? In the middle of confusion and difficulty, where are you, Lord? And the Lord says, I'm right here beside you. I'm right here. Even if you can't see me in this dark time, if you're in a season of darkness, the dark night of the soul, don't doubt his presence, even if you can't see him in this moment. Lesson number two. Whatever spiritual obedience may require from you or from me, God helps you to meet the requirements because he's there with you. God helps us. And then the angel goes on and says, don't be afraid. In verse 30, and Mary's response is, how shall this be? Because I'm a virgin. You see, we tend to fear the unknown. Would you agree with me? We tend to fear what we don't know. We look at the future and we say, how can this be? And we find comfort in routine. And I think the older that I get, the more comfort I find in routines, quite honestly. You know, I, I kind of like to know I have all the Tim Hortons mapped out between wherever I'm going and my home. You know, I like my routine. And the reality is, is that in life, and even in Christian life and service, there's a comfort that comes from routine. And God has this wonderful way of breaking up our routines. Have you noticed that? And out of the blue, he, he calls us into something. We're thinking, how can this be? How is this possible? And that's the, this place of, of being a Christ follower. 
will always require us to live in this incredible tension between faith and sight, between what we see and what could be. This place of faith, this great adventure that God calls us into, this great adventure that God invites us into of trusting his word and trusting in his promises as compared to what we see in the circumstances in which we find ourselves. Sight, my life experience, the expectations, predictable circumstances, that's the tension. Can I trust God even though I can't quite see? Is stepping off the stage believing that God says it'll hold me up here? Or do I, and I'm not going to do it by the way. But that's the place of stepping out and trusting God. You've all done that. If you walk with Jesus for any period of time, you've trusted him. Even saying yes to him initially, to, that he would be your savior and your Lord, required a step of faith. Because you, without faith, you can't step into that place of pleasing God. And we find that this is always the tension. And Mary had this, this situation where the angel says, don't be afraid. And she says, how can it be? She had a decision to make. Was she going to lean back into what she saw? She was a young, unmarried virgin. How can this be? Or was she going to embrace a promise of God that she would be the mother of the Savior? Think about this for just a minute. Abraham uh, is the father of the faithful, and he is the one that we look to as the one who gives us a model for this faith versus sight concept. And we see this actually in Romans chapter 4. We pick up the storyline in verse 18 where it says, and you know, against all hope, the scripture says in verse 18, Abraham, in hope, believed. Against all hope. In other words, it doesn't even make sense. I mean, every voice around him was saying, Abraham, this is a crazy dream that you have. Obviously, you didn't hear from God. Against all hope. But against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed and became the father of many nations. The promise was, just as it was said to him, so your offspring shall be. He would be the father of many. And then in verse 19, it says, And without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. How's that for sight? It's not going to happen. This I'm 100 years old almost. My wife is 99. My body is as good as dead. And Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet, verse 20, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and he gave glory to God. Why? Because, verse 21, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. And this is why it was accredited to him as righteousness. He had this, this deep, profound sense that God was able to do what he had promised. And what we see in this passage that, that Abraham as well had a decision to make. He lived in the tension between faith and sight. Every day he got up and looked in the mirror. And he thought, I'm another day older. And I'm, right, I'm 100 years old. How is this possible? And yet he chose not to become weak in his faith, but he trusted God who had promised. Now think about that for a moment. Every one of us will have this test, right, multiple times in our life. Am I going to go and based on what I see? Am I going to disqualify myself from the promises that I felt like God gave me based on the circumstances around me? Or am I going to step into this place of trusting God regardless of what I see? Faith versus sight. Is God trustworthy? Is God dependable? And I love the prophetic word that said we make God too small. Is God able well, certainly, we know here, intellectually, we say, oh, absolutely, God's able to do anything. With God, all things are possible. And yet, when we're faced with our Goliath, our difficulty, the circumstances that would cause our faith to be tested, sometimes we cower back 
in unbelief. And God says to us, be like faithful father Abraham. Do not waver in your faith. Step out and into the things that God has for you. Step into this place of faith because Hebrews eleven six, without faith it's impossible to please God. But to be this place of being strengthened in our faith, fully persuaded that what God promised, he is able to perform. Here's a little clue, by the way. It doesn't say that Abraham was fully persuaded that Abraham would be able to perform it. It says he was fully persuaded that who? God. That God would be able to perform it. That's the place of faith that we step into. Understanding that God is able. So here's lesson number three. We must cling to the promises of our Father God. Because he is faithful to keep his word. You've got to cling to the promises of God, even when it doesn't make sense to your logical, rational mind, because God is faithful to keep his word. And now we step back into the conversation about Mary. Her heart was, uh, was devoted to God, and she invited the favor of God into her life. And we see that evidenced in two statements that she makes. The first statement we find in verse 38, where she says, I am the Lord's servant. And the second is, May it be to me according to your word. Let's all package these things very briefly. She said, I am the Lord's servant. And in essence, she said, my life, my future, my hope, everything is fully surrendered to you and to your mission and to your purpose. This place, uh, God, I'm yours. I'm yours. Whatever, Lord. I, and that's the place I'm inviting you into today. Two things. If, if you hear the next two minutes of my message, you've got everything I want to say today. How about that? First of all, we have to understand that we belong to him and that our life will have greatest purpose and meaning if we say, Lord, I'm your servant. Here I am. Use me, Lord, for your glory, for your kingdom, Lord. Use me. And secondarily, she said, may it be to be according to your word. May it be to me as you've said. You see, the first part of it was, how shall this be? That's the sight piece. But you see in the, in the storyline, she steps from what I see is I'm young and I'm a virgin. I've never known a man. Now she steps into this place. May it be to me. She steps into a place of faith. May it be to me according to your word. She gave God her unqualified yes. She didn't say, God, I will if you do this first. God, I'll do it. I, I, you're, I'm yours, Lord. But I relinquish my right to have veto power over my life plans and purposes. You see, that's the challenge. Because Mary's full surrender to God. May it be to me according to your word. She released to God her veto. She said, God, whatever you say, I'm in. And that's what gave her incredible favor with God. God says, I can use that. I can land on that. I can, that heart is what I'm looking for. Again, 2 Chronicles 16, the eyes of the Lord look to and fro that he might strongly support the man or woman whose heart is completely devoted to him. I'm all in. I choose you. Whatever you say goes, I surrender to you. I surrender to your lordship, your will, and your purposes. And that's what I want more than anything else in my life. So here's lesson number four, to be greatly used by God. Don't you want to be greatly used by God? We must wholeheartedly surrender to God. To be greatly used means you're wholeheartedly surrendered to God. Mary's attitude, I'm here to be served. I'm here to serve you, Lord. Be it on to me. And then we see her, her step into this song. Uh, it's interesting. She, scripture says that uh, she went to be with her, her, her aunt Elizabeth, who was six months pregnant at the time. And she spent three months there. And it's an amazing storyline where you see this. As I didn't read the text, but where Elizabeth meets her and she, she bursts into praise and adoration of the Lord. And she says, you're blessed. And then Mary, 
Again, the circumstances haven't changed. She's still single. Now, she's, she is engaged to Joseph, but she hasn't known a man. She's pregnant. And in a culture that probably suggests that maybe you've done something wrong here. Maybe you're, the stigma, the black mark that she would have had on her life as a single woman who was expecting would have been on just overwhelming, perhaps. And yet she, in this moment, after Elizabeth just extols the Lord and says, blessed are you among women, blessed is the child that you bear, Mary burst out in song, Mary's song, Magnificat, Mary's song of worship. And I believe this song, we're going to read through it here in just a minute and break it down kind of in phrase by phrase. But I believe Mary's song is intended not just to be a solo performance. I believe Mary's song is intended to be that she's the lead voice in the choir, I think you and I need to join this song. And the things that she's praising God for, and the things that she's worshiping God for, are things that you and I need to step in as well. So let's listen to this song, and let's take it apart and look at it today, uh, and, and step into this. It's not just an Advent reading. It's an Advent admonition. It's an opportunity to step into the plans and purposes of God. Let's read this together and rejoice. Why, why Mary? Why rejoice? Her circumstances were still challenging, but she said, verse 46... And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. I wish I could sing that. I'll have to get Rochelle and Ben back up here to help us and sing this, but that you would not be blessed if I sang this today. So there you go. His mercy extends to generation to generation, and he has performed, verse 51, mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said, to their fathers, and Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Mary's song. Let's break it down a little bit. What was she saying? In verse 48, the opening line, he has been, been mindful of the humble state of his servant. See, God was intimately aware of Mary's strengths and her weaknesses. She was just a teenager. She was a young woman. And yet God chose her and God chooses you and me, even though... You might look in the mirror and disqualify yourself. I don't know about your life, but I, I know about Steve. And I could come up with more reasons to disqualify myself for service than reasons to qualify myself for service. I don't know. Maybe you're different. Maybe you're so full of faith that you can overlook all your weaknesses. But I don't. I can't. But the point is not how I feel about me or how Mary felt about her. The reality was is that she said in worship, he has been mindful of my state, and yet... He chose me. God wanted to be involved. He wants to engage us in the purposes of his kingdom. And then he goes on to say, and from now on, all generations will call me blessed. She was willing to step into this faithful promise of God, believing that from now on, her life would have significance and meaning. Her life would have purpose. She would leave a legacy, and she would live a life of power and purpose. Who doesn't want that? Is anybody here that wants to live a mediocre life? Anybody here just wants to be an also, a has-been, also-ran? I mean, that's not the way we're wired. God has put something within every single one of us that wants to leave a legacy, that wants to impact this world for, the, for something that's good and noble and godly, and God wants to empower that. 
From, all, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. But that place of significance is only found in full surrender to God. Because he's the one that takes this life in his humble state and empowers it and makes it into something powerful and purposeful. That's what God does. He gives dignity to, to the lowly. He gives dignity to the overlooked. He pulls us into this great place of purpose. And then it goes on in verse 49 and says, The mighty one has done great things for me. The mighty one has done great things for me. God himself steps into your life and into mine and empowers us for the purpose of the kingdom. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's the one that, who comes to the person and says, God, help, and he shows up to help. He is the one that comes into our life and gives us a testimony. The mighty one has done great things for me. Attempt great things for God. Believe that God can do great things. The mighty one has done great things for me. And then she goes on in this beautiful song and says, his mercy extends to those who fear him. Mary's heart cry, and perhaps our heart cry as well, should be, Lord, please help, I need you, I need you. His mercy extends to those who fear him. He is a good, good father who comes to the heart cry of his child. His mercy extends to those who fear him. Lord, I, every day, at least every week, there'll be an opportunity for you where you'll say, I can't. Lord, I can't, but I'm willing. And God says, my mercy extends to you in that moment. You don't have to have the ability to do it. God says, I will come. I will serve. I will help you. I'll come alongside you. His mercy, his mercy extends. He's a good father. And then in verse 51, it says, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. God's strength shows up. His right arm, sign of his strength. He shows up to save and to protect us. You will find yourself in situations where obedience takes you beyond your natural ability to accomplish it. In those moments, God's right arm, his strength shows up to serve, to help, to empower. Uh, this morning I was uh, thinking, uh, perhaps you guys have heard this song. It's a little Sunday school song we used to sing. My God is so big, so strong and so My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do for you. For you, for you, for me. There's nothing that God cannot do. With God, all things are possible. And that's what we must remember. Then we step into these places where we need to see God show his, his, his strong right arm. He shows up in power. He performs mighty deeds. He comes to our aid. He comes to our side because he's not a respecter of persons. If he did it then, he can do it again. If he did it for them, he can do it for you. And that's the kind of God that we serve. He doesn't come just to empower a Mary or an Apostle Paul. He comes to empower you and to me and me to step into the plans and purposes that he has for us. And then she went on in verse 51 and 52, and she said in her song, he scattered those who were proud in their inmost thoughts and brought down rulers from their thrones. God the sovereign overrules the prideful plans of men. Maybe that's good news for us in this season of the world in which we live, is that what happens in the boardrooms and the, in, the, in, in parliament buildings around this world, that God has the final say. Aren't you glad about that? <laughs> Those inmost thoughts, even the, the thoughts, their schemes, their plans. God knows even their plans, their schemes, and that he can overrule those plans. Uh, just note here, there's no contest that God is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the sovereign. He is the eternal He's the one who sets up kingdoms and tears down kingdoms, and he's your father. And never forget that he's your father. Yeah. 
Never forget that. And he says, this is my son, this is my daughter, the one that I love. It's interesting, and the scripture goes on, it says this, he's, he's filled up the humble. <laughs> it, he's lifted up the humble in verse 52. And that word uh, there, uh, lifted, in the original, in Greek, means to elevate, to exalt, to present in a grand manner. How do I, how do I describe this? Uh, he tears down those who set themselves up as rulers, and he lifts up the humble. It, he elevates, he presents, oh, I, let, me, let me do it this way. How about this? <laughs> it's like, may I have your attention, please? Everyone may have your attention. This is Reese Scott. He's my favorite. He lifts up. He elevates in a grand manner. He does that. I may have your attention, please. This is Rochelle, and she's my favorite. You know, and God does that to every single one of his kids. His plan is that we would understand that we are his favorite. How can God have five billion favorites? Because he's God, and he's not, he's not, he's not prideful. He, 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 go figure that out. I don't know how. He's, he's a God who's mysterious in his love, and he loves every single one of us passionately and completely. And this passage, what it communicates is this concept. The God says he lifts up, he elevates, he makes grand presentation of every one of his sons and daughters. He lifts up the humble. And we sometimes think, oh, he just comes in his pity. It helps us. No, this passage says he blows the trumpets. He bangs the drums. He smashes the cymbals and says, they're my kids and I love them. That's what we have to see. That's the kind of father that we have that shows up to help us as we step into this invitation to become all that God wants us to be. And then it goes on and then it goes on and says this, that he has filled the hungry with good things. Filled. I looked it up in the Greek. You know what it means? It means to be filled. It means to be filled full. I mean, I was looking for some deep, incredible meaning. It simply means to be filled full, filled to capacity. But it's really wise for you and for me to recognize the source of our filling. It's the Lord. And a wise person recognizes their need, and they come to him every day. There's a dependency that we must have on Abba. If we ever get to the place in our lives where we think we got this, where we can skip our times with Jesus or minimize those times, we're, we're in a dangerous place. Because we won't have... It's not wise to go through the, the gas station, the service station, and put in one liter of gas every day. You might find yourself on the side of the road somewhere. But if we come and we tank up, and we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us to capacity on a daily basis, he wants to fill us so that, so that we are full and overflowing. Key number five, or lesson number five, a heart of humility will position itself daily in the presence of God for a fresh fill-up. A wise heart, humble heart. The scripture says, the apostle Paul says, be filled with the spirit. Or the concept is, be being filled. And then verse 54, 55, Mary said this, he has helped, he has remembered Abraham and his descendants forever. Point, God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises, he never forgets. He shows up to help, he shows up to empower us for service, not just for Abraham, but for every generation. God shows up to help. He's here. God remembers. He knows. He reminds himself. Mary's song. As I turn the corner here and personalize this for us, Mary's song, or the song of Mary, must become the song of many. The song of Mary becomes the song of many. Mary's heart attitude was, be it to me according to your word, Lord. May it be to me as you've said. The scripture says that the Spirit the Holy Spirit would overshadow Mary. 
to rest upon is what that word overshadow means. The Spirit of God would rest upon. She believed, Mary believed, and she conceived in her womb, uh, the one that would become the Son of God, our Savior. But the Spirit's desire is to come upon us, that we would believe and we would receive what God has for us as well. And not just Mary. Uh, praise God that she, she is unique in the fact that she bore the Son of God. I'm not minimizing that, but I want to invite you into an opportunity that God provides for every one of us, that we could be used by God as well, that God's dreams and plans and purposes for our lives, what God wants to birth by his spirit in our world through us, that we must believe as well and receive the promise of God and receive his empowering. Acts 1.8, you know it well, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They believed and they received, because we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And all of them were filled with the Spirit, and they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Backdrop, this was a grand, one of the one, seven main festivals in the Jewish calendar every year. It was the, it was the, the Pentecost uh, celebration, the festival. And at this moment of time, the Spirit of God landed. Now, the disciples believed. 120 of them locked in an upper room because Jesus has said, wait till the Holy Spirit's come upon you. So they went, they locked themselves, they prayed. And while they were praying in this moment, day of Pentecost, fully come, the Spirit of God landed on the place, tongues of fire. And they began to speak in languages they didn't know. And now outside the windows of this upper room, the crowds have massed in Jerusalem, come to celebrate this festival, this feast. And they were from every nation in the Roman Empire. It were Jewish devout people had come home to celebrate in different languages. And so the Holy Spirit filled the disciples to capacity, overflowing with this God-inspired strategy to reach the, the ends of the world. That's how it started. They spoke in tongues. They spoke in languages they didn't know. And the people said, what is this? I hear them proclaiming and glorifying God in our own mother tongue. How is this possible? Aren't these men from Galilee? These are just common... How is it possible they can speak our language? 13 or 14 different languages, at least represented in that passage, by the way. It's interesting that what you see is that God knew, God came, and these disciples, they believed what Jesus said, and they received the empowering of the Holy Spirit. They stepped into this place where God's dreams, God's plans, God's purposes being fulfilled through their life. The Holy Spirit enabled them. They were filled. The scripture says in this passage that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled in this case means to be filled to overflow. They were beyond capacity. It was spilling out. You know what, what you do when you're not paying attention? You're filling your glass onto the faucet and all of a sudden your hand gets wet because that's what was happening. They couldn't contain it. That's the concept here. They stepped into this place of trusting and believing God and their hearts were so full it spilled out and they were worshiping God in languages they did not know. There is no lack of ability. Yeah. Here's the, the thing I fear that we do in the church in North America. I fear that I do this. That I, I, I use the Holy Spirit, or I, Father, forgive me, because this is not totally accurate here. I don't know how to say this better. Sometimes I think we depend on the Holy Spirit like we depend on that little donut spare tire in your car. You know, the one that's made out of hard rubber that's really small, the one that's only supposed to go like 20 kilometers an hour, that one. If we get into a really big bind, we can appeal to the Holy Spirit. He's like our spare tire. You know, we, we're in a place of ministry and we're going to thump, 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 thump because we've got a flat. It, it, where the ministry time goes flat and we can depend on God. We get out the spare tire. We can speak in tongues a little bit. Praise God. We'll get through this. We'll get to the service. 
That's not what this is like. That's not full and overflowing. The Holy Spirit wants to come into our life, not like the spare tire, but the Holy Spirit wants to come into our life like the engine that drives the car, the one that gives us power. He doesn't just compensate for our inadequacy. He comes in and floods us with divine power and divine strategy to reach the city, divine strategy to reach your workplace, divine strategy to bring healing to broken marriages, divine strategy to see God come and touch your kids. That's what God wants to do. He's not a spare tire. He wants to be the engine that drives. And we see this throughout the New Testament. We see it that same day of Pentecost that Peter, flooded to the point of overflow, stands up and preaches, and 3,000 people come to Christ in one day. That's Peter filled to overflow. And we see Philip, just a few chapters later, Acts chapter 8, filled to overflow. He spoke by God's guidance to an Ethiopian official who believed and was baptized on the spot. And then what happens next? The Holy Spirit takes Philip, catches him up, translates him, transfers him to a place that's about 15 to 20 miles away called Azutos, and drops him off. I, I don't understand that, by the way. I have, I have traveled all over the world. I have prayed for that kind of translation. It has never happened to me. I have to hop on the plane and, and fly like 14 or 15 hours to go to the South Pacific. And I'm thinking, can I just, can you just kind of drop me there? It has never happened. I, I'm waiting for that day, but it hasn't happened yet. But we see that Philip, filled with the Holy Spirit, God did amazing things. Or Paul, filled to overflow, preached to the Gentiles with signs and wonders that followed. We see the same thing in the Old Testament as well, where Samson, empowered by the Holy Spirit, devastated the Philistines. Samson is a, is a conundrum, isn't he? The Spirit of God would come on him, he'd do amazing things, and when the Spirit would lift off of him, he was... He was very mortal, wasn't he, in every way? David, we see, empowered by the Spirit of God, defeated the giant Goliath. One of my favorites is Elijah the prophet, overflowing with the Spirit of God, confronted a wayward nation. Elijah confounded the prophets of Baal. Elijah called down fire from heaven. Elijah overthrew idolatrous worship. Elijah prayed for rain and an end to the drought. And then Elijah outran the king's chariots. I love that. There was such a power that came on. After all that, it was a fairly hard day's work. Would you agree with me? You know? And then he, he, the Bible says he took his robe, he tucked it in, and he, he took off running, and he outran horses and chariots. Like, that is... I, I just love the humor in that, by the way, that God would add that little part just to say, when the Spirit of God comes on you, uh, you can be invigorated <laughs> in, the, in the process of doing his work and his calling. I love that. So we, have, so we have Peter and Philip and Paul and Samson and David and Elijah. But what about you? What about me? What about this season? What could God do through you? What could he do in the season of time? Could we step into an invitation for a fresh visitation of God? Let me tell you how we get that. If we engage and adopt the example that Mary gave us, I'm your servant, God. And let it be to me according to your word. I'm your servant. I delight to do your will, O God, as Jesus quoted from the prophet Isaiah. The apostle Paul reminds us that you're bought with a price. The blood of Jesus were not our own or his servants. And if we step into secondarily into this place, that may it be to me according to what you said. Abba, I'm available. I believe. I trust you regardless of what I see with my physical, natural eyes. Regardless of what I think with my, with my mind, what I trust, I choose to trust you. I live by faith, not by sight. I say, how can this be? And then equally I say, be it unto me. 
How can this be? Abraham looked in the mirror and saw that he was getting older. How can this be? And then he said, be it unto me according to your word. That's the place of faith that God wants to invite us into during the Advent season. This is the place that God has for us going into 2022. To have this place, this heart, this attitude of miracles, because this heart attitude, a be it unto me according to your word, is the fertile soil that produces God's miracles. I believe it. It's, it's not about us. It's about God's ability. It's about a faith that says, God, we expect you to come. It's this attitude of, of God, be it unto me according to your word, yields a life of meaning, a life of purpose, a life of significance, this grace by God's favor, this attitude also empowers a glorious church that will say, Lord, send us, carrying the good news to the very ends of the world. Be it unto us according to your word. It's being willing to say, whatever it takes, I'm in. God, because you're good. Mary had this incredible attitude when she said, be it unto me according to your word. And the invitation is really quite simple today as I've prayed and asked God what I was to share with you. I'd love to have the worship team come, by the way. Enjoy me here. But what my heart's passion, what, what, what's so deeply in my spirit is that we would lean into the invitation that God's given us. See, he's not ever going to change. He's always going to be the almighty God. He's always going to be the perfect father. He's always going to be the one that empowers us for service. And he's simply saying, do you believe? And, and for those of you like me who have gone through a difficult season and where, where it'd be easier just to, to scale back a little bit, to say, you know, yeah, I, I, I believe. But, you know, let's look at reality here. I've had to repent this week for my attitude because I recognize there are a couple places in my life where God gave me a promise as a young man. And I have, I have actually stepped away from that. And, and my, I never actually said this to God, but I said it to myself, and God heard it. God, maybe that promise was not for me, but it was for my grandkids. Maybe it's not for me, maybe it's for somebody else. I have a promise from the Lord that I would see true historic quality revival in my lifetime. It's a promise God gave me. I won't tell the whole story. It was a very powerful moment where the Spirit of God came on me and I was overwhelmed by His Spirit. So, son, I promise this is, I promise this to you. And I'm looking in the mirror and I'm recognizing I'm not the young man anymore that I was when He made that promise to me about. 30 years ago. And there's a part of me that just would, would say, but God, you keep your word, but maybe it's my grandkids are gonna see this. I'm okay with that, God. And, but being okay with something less than exactly what God said, it's not good. And the heart that God's stirring up within me right now is a fresh place of faith that says, Lord, I'm your servant. Be it unto me according to what you've said. Lord, I step back into this position of trust. Matter of fact, I don't know how you're going to do this. It's okay. How can it be? But even as we say, how can this be? We look at that person who needs a miraculous touch of healing. How can this be? But we also quickly jump from how can this be into the place of faith that says, but God, but God, I trust you. But God, you're able Without you, Lord, it would be impossible. But with you, all things are possible. Because you're faithful, Father. You keep your promises to generations. You remember Abraham. You remember Isaac. You remember Jacob. You remember Steve. And you remember Becky. And you remember, Lord, you, you know our names. Sam and Kath. You know Ben and Rochelle. Lord, you know James and Lazo. You know our names. You know us personally. And you keep your word. 
So Lord, I'm asking you specifically in this season of time that you would help us, that you would invite us into this place. Luke chapter one, as I close. <laughs> Verse 45, Elizabeth greets Mary and she, she bursts into this praise, this exclamation of, I'm favored because the mother of my Lord has come to me. And then she says this, very insightful thought. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her would be accomplished. Blessed is she, blessed is he who has believed that what the Lord has said will be accomplished. That's a place of favor. That's a place of blessing. May the song of Mary become the song of many. I feel like there needs to be a response. Would you stand with me? And, and it's like, I'm going to pray over you, but... I have... I want to pray just a, a prayer of faith. But I think perhaps there may be a few of us in this room that need to actually step out of the place of... a place of tolerance of unbelief. And may God give you a holy intolerance to anything that's anything less than full faith. And there may be some of us that have been in a position where for a season of time we've allowed our rational mind, sight, to overrule faith. <laughs> and I feel like the Lord has invited us today to step into this place of, of, of uh, making a response. And I, in my spirit, what I'm hearing is that 2022 is going to be a very different year. And there's an opportunity that the Spirit wants to give us to step into this new place. And as, it is not even January 1st yet, but there's this Advent invitation, an expectation for a visitation of God that stirs again. Some of us have promises from the God that, that led you to leave houses and homes and country and family in pursuit of a promise, in pursuit of a dream. And God says he keeps his word. Don't settle for anything less than everything God told you eight years ago or 10 years ago or three months ago. Don't settle. And if you are one of those people that want to step out and feel like today you need to do something physical to step out of that place of, of tolerating unbelief or tolerating rational thought or living for even a moment in faith rather than stepping fully into sight, I, just come down and join me. Just take a step forward. Let's take a step forward to step into this place of faith and trust one more time. God, I'm in. I'm your servant. Be it unto me. Let me pray for you right now as we close. Father, I pray right now that we would be people filled with faith. That we would not allow anything, Lord, in our heart to disqualify us. To, be a, to step into a place of disqualification. When we look in the mirror and say, Yes, God, you're faithful. You can't do this. Lord, I break that off of us now, I pray in Jesus' name. And today, we reaffirm our hearts of service to you, Lord. We are yours. We belong to you. We've been bought with a price. Lord, we reaffirm our commitment to you. And Lord, we ask that you would help us. We step into this place of faith. Be it to me according to your word. Lord, I pray that we could respond in our hearts to this invitation, not just to come, but also to become all that you want us to be. Not just to come to you with fresh faith, but also, Lord, to come to you with fresh eyes 
and that we would see ourselves as people favored by God, favored, loved, and that we would go from how can it be to step into this place of let it be unto me according to your word. Lord, I pray for Trinity Center. I pray for every family, every person. I'm asking, Father, that you would fill us with hope and expectation, like hope against hope as Abraham. He believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Lord, I pray the same for us now, that we would step into this place of faithful obedience, fully trusting because the God who promised, may we be persuaded that the God who promised is faithful to complete, to keep his word, to accomplish what you've said you would do, Lord Jesus. And in that place, we say yes and amen. Would you agree with me that God's able? Can we just applaud the faithfulness of God? The God of miracles. The faithful God who comes and loves us, we pray. Bless this congregation, I pray now, in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you all. Worship team.